This week's episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast is novel in a few ways. First and foremost, the guest that we've had on this week happens to be from my very small state of Rhode Island. I'm from Wakefield. She's from Coventry, if I'm not mistaken, which is an incidence that happens about one in about never uh, of all the executives and VPs that I've spoken to at global technology companies related to the AI space. So that was quite nice to see that some of us have escaped our provincial beginnings and made it into the technology field. Um, Kimberly Powell is our guest this week. She is Senior Director of Business Development at NVIDIA. NVIDIA is best known for their graphical processing units. Kimberly speaks with us this week about what is a GPU, what are the factors that are making them easier to use, and what are the factors that are making them more accessible to small businesses and startups. Some of NVIDIA's uh, innovations as well as some general trajectories in the field. How might these make a difference in computing at large and become more accessible to more companies? Uh, this interview again was conducted at the AI Summit in San Francisco. Uh, the folks who put on that event made it quite easy for press to uh, set up different appointments. We did this again in a coffee shop. So if you hear a couple clinking plates in the background, that's just a little bit of the, the real life scenario of where this interview was constructed or, or recorded. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is Kimberly Powell with NVIDIA. So Kimberly, where we'll start first is the difference between CPUs and GPUs. I think uh, a lot of us who are looking at the AI world from the outside, we understand, okay, well, well GPUs are used to this parallel processing, which roughly correlates what we might imagine uh, neural circuitry looks like, and that sounds really smart, and you use it for images and audio. What are those core differentiators? How do, we, how do you explain it to the general public? Okay, you can start at uh, the difference of numbers of processors on the devices themselves. So in CPUs, they have multiprocessors, but they're in the tens. If you look at GPUs, they have thousands of processors. They're in the thousands. And you made the observation, the GPU having thousands of processors, it does more mimic what the brain is doing. Lots and lots of neurons, lots and lots of synapses, all connecting and being able to operate in parallel. Yep. Um, got it. So in many regards, how many processors you can pack onto a, and I, you guys just came out with your newer chip recently, your Xavier deal, and obviously we're, we're, we're moving down and down and down and how many we can get in there. Um, so number of processors per I don't know. How do, how do you folks measure it nowadays? Per centimeter, per what's the what's the unit? In the latest Xavier platform, we have seven trillion transistors on the device in the sixteen millimeter FEMFET yeah, yeah. architecture. So. Pretty wild. Yep. So more just uh, keeps plowing ahead. So Moore's Laws is kind of died off now, right? So the number of transistors you can put on the chip is, you know, Moore's Law has, has leveled off, which is why different architectures have had to come about in order to deal with these large computational demands, such as neural networks. So CPUs are not able to deliver a 2x performance every year like they used to. Um, GPUs can deliver that performance as well as when you optimize the software for a power processing, we can far exceed Moore's Law, and that's what we've been doing for the last several years. Got it. Uh, and then, then we got your, your quantum folks cracking away on that side of the coin, and hopefully hopefully we haven't uh, hit any brick walls in terms of computation power. So in terms of where this is manifesting itself in the world, um, a lot of us are familiar with Baidu's application and speech, and we've, we've done uh, some interview work with those guys um, in their lab uh, here in the Valley. You know, a lot of image recognition work. You guys get to see so many applications of deep learning across so many industries, which is a cool place to be. Talk about a couple uh, fun, novel, or maybe unique applications of deep learning that people who are Googling this stuff may not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so deep learning made its heyday in doing things like images and speech, and now it's moving into video. So video is incredibly important 
for several reasons. Think about all the smart cities out there in the world. They have millions and millions of cameras in cities. And they want to be able to do intelligent video analytics on those smart cameras for surveillance purposes. They want to do people counting, face detection, face recognition. They want to see when crowds are forming so they can break it up so there's not a, a dangerous situation that's being formed. So smart cities all over the world are looking for smart cameras and they want to deploy deep learning and neural networks inside the cameras so that they can do all of that detection. So I think that's a really interesting yeah, application. Sure. Fraud detection is another application. So um, uh, PayPal and others have uh, already described the work of how deep learning is allowing them to be smarter in their fraud detection. Um, that's going to be important to all sorts of commercial banking any kind of e-commerce, um, cyber security, the same thing. A massive amount of network traffic, and you have to always be on alert. And so it has to be real-time learning, real-time response, and real-time decision-making in terms of cyber. Um, agriculture uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is an interesting one because you can imagine there's enough satellite data out there. You can actually use satellite data to measure the health of crops. Mm. They can deploy computer vision algorithms on the agricultural machines themselves, like the lettuce bot, and yeah, be able yeah. to watch the video as they pass over a weed or a lettuce and only shoot the weed with pesticides. So you have intelligent video analytics for smart cities, you have smart agriculture, um, you have smart um, e-commerce and, and, and banking. So the, the limits of this uh, technology are pretty... Far-reaching, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of uh, agriculture, I think that's fascinating. In that space, you mentioned the lettuce bot for for those of you. I, we just I just got done listening to Kimberly's talk here at the uh, the conference. Machine vision applied to looking at, I suppose, I mean, image detection of lettuce at all of its phases of life, and understanding this is a lettuce, even if it's just barely poking out of the ground, as opposed to a weed being able to kill the weeds, uh, saving a lot of pesticides, saving a lot of people from eating pesticides, satellite imaging. Anything else in agriculture that you've seen that's neat in terms of machine vision and whatnot? I, I, I can imagine, man, just just how many uh, wild applications there may be in that space in the future. I'm, I'm in Sonoma a lot, and there's still people picking grapes most of the time. And I think to myself, good golly, isn't this one of those jobs that we would have imagined? You know, 20 years ago, we'd have this handled. Well, I mean, I, you can imagine that as I as I talked about, intelligent devices are going to be cropping up all over the place, an intelligent tractor, I wouldn't have even thought of when I started down this deep learning path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it makes perfect sense to me. So you could imagine there will be, in agriculture, it could be a ton of new intelligent machinery to help not only with the health of the crops, but harvesting the crops um, and that sort of thing. Cool. On to the application of this in uh, outside of larger businesses. I think a lot of the innovation that, that I hear about and probably most people looking this stuff up hear about is from the big admirable companies, the Amazons, the world, the Microsofts, the world who, who, are, who are often pushing the field forward, especially as they gobble up all the academicians and, and take them out of that domain. We've got like, you know, Bengio and like a couple other guys left and then it's everybody else is gone. So, so those guys are really moving the field forward. You've got startups here in the Bay Area you know, everybody from Stanford, they just raised 10 million bucks and, and they can go do some cool stuff too. But I know you folks are also working on making deep learning more accessible. Uh, right now, I imagine a lot of small businesses wouldn't even know how to use it, but but more and more into the future is artificial intelligence because it becomes more mainstream, deep learning becomes more mainstream. How will 
quote unquote, normal small businesses, maybe get their hands on deep learning, gain some utility from that? Sure. So I think we have two significant efforts in that in that space. So one, I could talk a little bit about the computing platforms that we've been building the last couple of years, which are, uh, I would call them sort of like an appliance. They're an all-in-one package where they have the most efficient state-of-the-art hardware, um, packed as much as compute power you can pack into the footprint, either at a desk side or in a in a one node server, and then we marry that with completely optimized software packages. So today, the software ecosystem of deep learning is still slightly fragmented, meaning they are open source packages hosted by the Berkeley Group, um, or they're all on GitHub, and it would it isn't the easiest thing to get them installed and working properly yeah. on the hardware. So we build these appliances where all of the software stack is completely optimized to take advantage of the hardware. And we also have a user interface called Digits that allows a, a less seasoned you know, programmer type to be able to say, I have this data set, I'd like to use this model, I'd like to use this framework. And they can kick off the training and see how their model is converging. So that's one major effort is this, this sort of appliance where we have uh, our Digits dev box and then we have our um, DGX1 supercomputer that has all the software integrated to it. The second major effort we have is we recently launched what we're calling the Deep Learning Institute. And this is a training platform. So we've partnered with um, Udacity and Sebastian Thrun, for example, to put together a self-driving course. So by the end of the course, anybody would be able to put together all the pieces to build an autonomous vehicle. And we're going to continue on that path and create courses for doing lots of different applications like intelligent video analytics, medical imaging, and classification and detection you know, fraud detection and, and cybersecurity. So you'll see lots more courses coming out of our Deep Learning Institute. That's interesting to me because what a curious but smart thing from NVIDIA's perspective, uh, there is talk of, you know, the, the limitation in the market in some way being um, knowledge of these arcane wizard-like skills. Um, and, and the more people that have those and the more that's accessible outside of, let's say, Cornell or let's say Stanford, um, you know, the more people are going to need this stuff and, and be able to leverage it in a technology in a meaningful way. So that's very curious. When, when you talk about the appliances, just so I have the right vision in mind and maybe so do the listeners, are these often built for verticals or is this just sort of deep learning in a box? Is it often kind of deep vision in a box where, or machine vision in kind of a deep learning context in a box? Or is it pointed at a particular application or are they pretty broad appliances in general for any various It's purpose? a broad appliance in general. We do have what, what I was talking about, the, the software package called Digits, which built into it, it has some um, use cases, pre-canned yeah, use cases, yeah, yeah. just to get people familiar with how to use the appliance, where they will have image classification and segmentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's an absolutely broad um, based, it, it's agnostic to the different frameworks. So if, if in particular you want to use Torch because you're doing speech, that's fine. That, that software is already preloaded on there. If you're doing images and cafe is your flavor of framework, it's okay. It's already on there. So it's meant to be general purpose, huh. yet we want to prepare use cases to get people going as fast as possible. That's something that you, you probably talk and are in conversations about all the time is, is this, how open-ended it is, right? I mean, and I hear companies, there's vendor companies in here in the machine learning uh, space just across the board, probably, you know, deep learning applications as well, where, you know, what we do kind of works everywhere, you know, and, and then, wow, that's a marketing problem, you know, like, and, uh, and, and it's also, it's just such a white canvas um, concern. So you are preloading these appliances with 
use cases that might be applicable. I think that's a big part of, of this nascent field is for business folks to have the inspiration to explore, to say why that could be a useful application for us, that's right. why that could be a useful application. Education certainly helps. You're working on that. Um, what are ways, as a final question here, which I think will be curious and maybe prompt some of the listeners to do some more homework, what are some of the ways where people are getting inspired, where they're able to find where are the various applications, how might we want to use this black box, so to speak, to uh, to drive some business value, you know, showing up at conferences, reading Wired, I mean, not necessarily everybody's cup of tea for the most part, where, where do you see people gleaning meaningful insight on, hey, we could use that? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure NVIDIA puts a really strong effort in publishing stories all the time. Um, we have NVIDIA.ai Twitter handle where we're constantly putting out the um, the application, the use cases, the practical applications of deep learning. And what I can tell you about this community is it's a very open community. So if you see one of those stories and you want to contact the person who did that practical application, most of the time you're greeted with open arms and there's lots of that's help cool. to be out there. Um, so that, that's one way. Um, NVIDIA also hosts uh, what we call our GPU technology conference. And this conference has been dedicated to deep learning and artificial intelligence for the past three years. Right now we're running all over the world doing them. Uh, we just went to uh, Beijing and Amsterdam oh, and Tokyo. Cool. And we're going to Korea and Israel and making me jealous of all this and, travel and so those those conferences have very great technical content as well as practical application use so and all of those proceedings um, generally find themselves online so you can go there cool. and then I think there's obviously I'm a follower of the influencers uh, you know the Yamakuns the Yashuas you know they're posting on all of the right um, reddits and, and quoras and, and their own Facebook pages where um, they're posting what's latest and greatest happening at all the research conferences as well. Big time. I think that's a great tip for folks tuned in is, is um, you know, there are individual people and organizations that are pushing the field. You mentioned your own Twitter handle that's sharing these case studies. Like staying attached there is going to be a great source of insight as opposed to kind of a regurgitated piece on a tech crunch or something mm -hmm. along those lines. It's funny because I can remember a time when not everybody would retweet Bengio. And now he can't he can't get interviewed for anything without it lighting up on fire because people are finding he is really he's one of the guys. So hopefully that's useful for the folks tuning in. Kimberly, that's all we have for time. Thanks for being here for the interview. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.